one. Hey listeners, this is William Sterling and you are listening to the Killer Mediums podcast where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is evil mothers and we're joined by guest Caitlin Marceau. As a warning, this is a very spoiler-heavy podcast, so if you would like to dodge spoilers for any of today's topics, including Marceau's This Is Where We Talk Things Out, which, big spoilers there, uh, do not listen if you have not read that yet, um, Hereditary, Carrie, or Mama, uh, then you should probably turn back now, but the spoiler warnings are out of the way, here we go, let's get spooky. I feel like there's got to be a better way for me to work that in other than us turning it on and just like awkwardly sitting here for the 20 seconds as it goes through. Down to jam to that. I was like getting like, ooh, this is like... All right, this is a banger. <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, I need to I need to post the artist that made that for me's like details on Twitter more often. I don't remember their name exactly, but I I can see the Twitter handle, and I know I can find it in my DMs if I go back for just a second. Um, but yeah, they killed it. Anyhow, Caitlin, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm I'm fantastic. Um, so. I want to start all of these episodes just with a very you focus. So uh, for any listeners that have been living under a rock for the last few months and aren't familiar with you, um, who are you? Uh, what is your big uh, big work that just came out into the world? You've actually got a couple that I'm aware of. Um, yeah. <laughs> who are you? Uh, go ahead and tell us all about yourself. Well, I'm Caitlin Morceau. Um, I am a horror author up here in Canada, specifically Montreal, up in Quebec. Um, so I tend to write a lot of painfully Canadian feminist horror, <laughs> a lot of really like queer horror because I'm also I'm queer myself. Um, and yeah, I tend to to write a lot of stuff that focuses on a person's relationship with themselves and with nature and with other people in their lives, for better or worse, yeah. um, as, as mentioned in the novella. Um, my most recent work, uh, well, I guess, I guess the most recent big work that I have is called This Is Where We Talk Things Out. Um, it's my debut novella with Darklit Press, which I'm like over the moon about. I'm like so happy that it's out in the world. Um, and then other than that, I have a collection that came out in January called Palimpsest, uh, a novelette that came out this summer called Magnum Opus, uh, and then I guess technically most recently Laughlin Hills, um, which is a, a quarterly magazine that's a horror comedy. But yeah, a lot of stuff. Yeah, the lock, the, okay, Lachlan or Laughlin? I say Laughlin. I've heard people call it Laughlin. I'm accepting both pronunciations now. <laughs> okay. They're both right. <laughs> Let's, we're going to talk about, this is where we talk things out a lot later on in the episode. So I'll kind of save that for then. But Lachlan Hills looked really interesting to me because it doesn't look like it's a traditional story. It um, isn't. <laughs> what is going on with that? So it's, I, it's a passion project of mine that was, so it was actually independently published um, in 2021, I want to say. 
Um, it was for a festival that I did here in Montreal and I was like selling books that I had like appeared in like anthologies. And I was like, oh no, I don't have anything. <laughs> it's like just me. Like I hadn't, didn't have the forethought to like do that. And then I had this project kind of brewing in the back of my head and I, I put it together and, you know, it actually did surprisingly well at the festival. Um, but essentially it's like a comedy, like a horror comedy parody of a community magazine. So there's issues in it about like monsters under the bed that have unionized because they're tired of like really bad working conditions. Like kids aren't sticking their feet out from the covers and like, you know, <laughs> someone ended up changing their, their queen size bed for like a pull out couch. So now there's even less room for them. So they're like, they're peeved. Um, there's advertisements for like the two high schools, one of which, you know, a wizard died and the other one promises to not do that again. You know? <laughs> and like stuff like that. Um, so there's like, yeah, journalistic pieces. Um, there's like coupons for pizza places. Like, you know, you can get safe passage out of the restaurant, but we can't guarantee the parking lot. Uh, <laughs> a review for the Sounds of Sasquatch live jazz concert. All kinds of like weird stuff in this town. But uh, yeah. It is so like varied and creative. That's cool. I think yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what it was I read from it. I think Andrew, the book dad posted one article about, uh, oh, what, what even was it? It was, it was like a mom's club doing something. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. face on that? It was, I think it was, oh God, I forget her full name. It was Stephanie. Oh, it's like, you know, when you can see the Twitter handle, <laughs> like the person's right. name like, <laughs> disappeared. We've both done this now, Stephanie. so we even now. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie. And that's her first name. Um, she's fantastic. She's a poet, too. She has like a book out. I'm so mad at myself. Um, yeah, she she had like posted, I think Andrew retweeted. It was like women in white who are like yes, finding yes, new purpose it. in life. And they're wearing sandwich boards advertising stuff. It's so stupid. <laughs> Oh man, I love I love it, and I think the uh, the next one, the second issue comes out in December because it's like every three months. So, but yeah, so it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's really a serial dumb. thing too. Then, <laughs> yeah, 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 it literally is okay. like a seasonal like horror comedy magazine um, that features these articles from a town that isn't real and things are bizarre. <laughs> have Have you ever heard of the Welcome to Night Vale podcast? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's almost what it reminds me of, just like hearing the short pitch here. So Yeah, cool. <laughs> basically. Um, I, I love that. I'm picking up a copy as soon as I can. Um, how many how many editions are out or how many how many seasons so, are out? So this is like, so the first one, like I said, the, the first one came out last year, but it was re-released in September. Um, okay. So there's technically only like this bad boy out right now. And then I think it's December 3rd. Um, is the launch date of issue two. And then going forward, I think the next one's like December, March, and then June or July. Okay. March, April, May. Yeah, it'll be June. <laughs> okay, so they're going to they're gonna start hitting fast and quick now. Yeah, they're like every three months for until I get tired. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems like the right way to do it. Uh, don't, yeah. don't tie yourself into the long-term contracts. Keep it, keep it fun and fresh. <laughs> I mean, I planned out the first like eight of them. So I think we have like two years for sure coming out. Um, okay. I, I would hope anyways, because I'm actually making the sounds of Sasquatch <laughs> Jazz CG. Yes. It's the dumbest thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Wait, I'm, I'm okay, so are you a musician? <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> 
make a jazz song <laughs> to put on like it's this I don't even know if I want to like say it ahead of time but like we're thinking of either next summer or next fall doing like so in the first issue there's a sounds of sasquatch live concert review and we're thinking of like <laughs> launching like the cd recorded version <laughs> like the taped concert um and i might be doing yeah we're, we're probably gonna do that i'm not sure how many will be going out but yeah people will have access to a shitty jazz cd sounds of sasquatch that yeah. is amazing it's it's gotten uh, weird man <laughs> it's evolved quickly but it's the best kind of weird. like that is exactly the horror community's niche of weird. Like, yes, it's weird, but that is, like I haven't stopped smiling since you started talking about it. Oh, <laughs> like, it is, it is it, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, moving away from the horror comedy stuff, let's get onto the serious things. Really <laughs> dark and depressing now. Oh, can't wait. Um, our big topic for the day is evil mothers in horror. Um, and this is a topic that, uh, I know hits really close to home with some people. I know that this is a topic that really, even when we've got supernatural elements built into it, it tries to strike at the hearts of people along the same, at the same time. Um, it as, as fantastical as some of the works here get cough, mama cough. Um, it, it still has this through line of pain um underlying everything so starting starting you facing um why evil mothers so why is this a the topic you picked for us and b why is this really the driving force behind your first novella like why did why does this topic hit home with you it's so I feel like everyone is expecting me to be like my mom and I have a terrible relationship and I hate and like, like we're, we're really close my mom and I we were like just texting like a couple like like an hour or so ago um yeah she's like my biggest supporter like she was super excited about this novella coming out and I think everyone has the impression that I'm like it's about my mom <laughs> but like it's it's not um I just think that like so growing up, I will say growing up, we did have a tumultuous relationship in the sense that like, I was the worst possible kid you could have. <laughs> I, I seemed great at school, but I was like really difficult. I was like really confrontational. Um, I was really depressed. I was very closeted growing up. I should mention that I was never out. Um, so growing up, especially in like a Catholic home, it was really stressful. Um, so I was just like a really bitter, angry person all the time. Um, and I did not make things easy for like anyone in my family, never mind just my mom, who was trying so desperately to be there for me. Um, yeah. And then at the same time, she just wanted to be there too much, you know? Like she couldn't figure out what happened to like her happy daughter growing up, who was this like nightmare creature that has like replaced my kid. And so she held on too tightly and it just caused like all of this friction. Um, and I, I like to think, I'm going to say we are at a place where we've kind of moved past that. We've both sort of worked through these things um, and we're really close. Like we are really good. We're in a solid relationship. Um, but I did, I, when I was at least writing this novella, I was thinking a lot about that tension and how, you know, it's not just me and my mom. She had a really tense relationship with her mom and she's still, well, she doesn't presently, uh, but growing up, really tense relationship. And a lot of my friends have really tense relationships with their mom. And I just think there is this idea of like, 
especially with women, I'm going to say, there tends to almost be this expectation culturally that you're going to have a difficult relationship with your mom or your mother-in-law, which is kind of crazy to me just in general that this would be <laughs> like an idea we all have, but also an experience that's shared by so many people. So as to why I think scary moms are like a big thing and why this topic, I think it's because it's everywhere and it's like one of the most intimate relationships you'll have with someone gone bad so fast. <laughs> I I hear a lot of my own experiences and what you just talked about too. Like I had a really good relationship with my mom, but even so there were like a couple of years in high school that like either of us might have murdered the other one on any given day and everyone else in the family would have gotten it. Like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Teresa did it. Um, we like, it got bad in there. And I feel like that, like you're saying, everybody's got at least glimpses of that, even if they've got these amazing relationships with their mom. So yeah. So, so having a whole genre of horror geared towards those moments of, friction um like it's relatable it is yeah oh yeah uh, okay <laughs> i thought no. you were gonna say something <laughs> no, um, no, yeah i agree <laughs> um so another point that you talked about there that kind of brushed on another one of our topics for the day um, with the with the generational piece of it, uh, say, so saying your mom had a little bit of a rough go with her mom, uh, maybe that feeds into like your rough go with your mom for a little bit, like maybe maybe there's some sort of connective thread there if we look closely and tilt our heads. Um, we, we don't have to look that closely. <laughs> let's talk hereditary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Because that that movie like very clearly seems to take that concept that uh, the the bad we do to others gets passed down. It takes that to the one hundred and tenth level <laughs> of of like evils that could be perpetuated or how bad that could get with your relationships. So um, I guess first, just the, the very broad, can you tell us what Hereditary is about for anybody that maybe hasn't watched it yet is considering diving into this movie? Uh, we'll hold off on spoilers for just a second here. Um, but set the stage for us with this movie, please. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's about this woman named Annie, uh, played by Toni Collette, who's just, chef, just chef's kiss Toni Collette for everything she does. Um, yes. It's about this woman named Annie, and her mother has just passed away, and she's kind of going through the grief of that loss, um, while also dealing with essentially a pretty strained relationship within her family. Um, there's a pretty clear dynamic that she has with her daughter. Um, I think it's Charlie is her daughter. Mm. And she's quite close with Charlie. It seems like they have that loving relationship. Um, Charlie is more affected by the loss of the grandma than most people. And then there's also Peter, her son, her oldest of the two, that like she talks about as if, you know, we have a close bond, but truthfully, she kind of always has a strained relationship with him. Uh, and then very unexpectedly, she suffers the loss of one of her children. And it just gets Fuck nuts from there. I don't want to spoil anything because I feel like just <laughs> everything from that point out, it gets crazy. 
Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. So when you watched this movie for the first time, do you remember that experience at all? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yes, I do. (laughs) On my end, I went into it knowing literally nothing except for horror Twitter had been talking about. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. They they did a very good job of shielding us from any of the twists or turns, kind of like they're doing with Barbarian right now. Bless horror Twitter for not screwing that movie up for me. I get to watch it tomorrow night, and nobody said anything yet. Like, yeah. Yes. They're they're um, so considerate. <laughs> like horror Twitter right. knows what is up. Like Halloween <laughs> Kills, I think, or Halloween Ends has been out for a while, and I like couldn't tell you what happens in the movie other than like Michael Myers is there. <laughs> Right. Like, <laughs> it's a horror Twitter for the win. We we are good at keeping our secrets. I love it. Um, but that's also maybe creepy. But anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I go into Hereditary. Like, all I've seen is this poster of Tony Collette with Charlie and Tony Collette with Charlie and Tony Collette with Charlie. Yeah. Like, okay. It's some sort of a mother-daughter bond haunting sort of a thing. Got it. <laughs> and then the twist hits halfway through the movie. And you described it beautifully. Just fuck nuts from yeah. there. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and pull back the spoiler tag. Um, when Charlie gets her head knocked clean off in the middle of that asthmatic attack, we had to stop the movie because me and my wife were both just like so thrown yeah. No other movie has the guts to just rip out its entire storyline like that at the hour mark. I'm also going to say there are a few movies that have the absolute gall to like knock off a kid's head with a telephone pole. Right? Oh. Um, yeah, that's that one took of those... a fucking turn. Yeah. that That's one of those rules of horror is like, don't kill the kid. Nope, fuck you, we're doing it. <laughs> they came out swinging. They were, like, going for it. Yeah, so from there on out, we see this movie take its turn, not just, like, storyline-wise, but also thematically. It's not this mother's loving relationship with her daughter and trying to protect her anymore. Now that strained relationship you mentioned with the son takes center stage because it is his fault. That yeah. the child that Tony Collette like actually loved. I feel gross saying that, but it seems to be the case. Uh, to to see him responsible for that child's death, and then also all of the supernatural implications of that with Payman seeking a new host now, and yep. this demon gets thrown into the mix. Um, fuck nuts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, like, Alex Wolf did such a tremendous job. Like, so, okay, so in the theater, it was dead quiet. The second her, like, the second Charlie's head comes into contact with the telephone pole, and you just see, like, Peter's face just, like, stop and, like, look in the back. So, like, you can see in the backseat mirror, but we can't see. And he just realizes what's happened, and he drives home, and the whole way, you do not see what's happened. You just hear a quiet car and his stare. And then you see him in bed, sleeping, staring. And then you hear Tony Collette scream from outside. Like, it is 
gut-wrenching. And like, he very clearly has guilt over the fact that he unintentionally killed his sister. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was clearly an accident. Like he wasn't trying to like murder his sibling, you know, he just had to swerve out of the way. Cause I think it was a dog, if I'm not mistaken, that's in the road or something. And then he swerves and then hits the pole yeah. or like she hits the pole. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this kid and like Tony Collette, I think either just before the death of Charlie or just after like her character, like Annie mentions how like she had post uh, postpartum depression, I believe with Peter is how she, how it's phrased. So like, not only is the child that caused her this unintentional birthing trauma still around, but the cause of such early trauma in her life with her children now killed her favorite kid. And it is just like, I, I don't know, like Alex Wolf does such an amazing job as Peter. It's harrowing. Just. Yeah. Yeah. I, everybody in that movie acted their asses off um (laughs) the fact that tony collette didn't win an oscar or even get nominated for an oscar for that role is one of the biggest crimes against the genre ever committed oh yeah um and then the 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 very next year with us uh what's her face um um Oh my God! Why am I forgetting her name? We all know who I'm talking about, though. I'm, 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 yes, <laughs> Lupita uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Yes, Something. that's her. The uh, yeah kills it in us. Same story. No respect. Um, this year, there's a there's a campaign going on to get Terrifier two sent to the Oscars, which feels <laughs> like a slightly different story, but still. Um, okay. <laughs> I I can I can. Feel Tony Collette's anger and sadness and pain for the entire last half of the movie. Um, so another part of the questioning I wanted to pose to you is if this movie is called Hereditary, um, and we're we're watching this literal demon. Uh, get passed down through this family and seeing its influence over everything that's going on. How much of Tony Collette's horribleness <laughs> do you want to blame on her just being that kind of a mother versus how much of her horribleness do you think we can pass off on payment and be like, oh, demon's fault. Tony Collette gets a little bit of a pass because her family's possessed literally (laughs) yeah i so okay so i actually so okay so i feel really conflicted on this one because i actually don't think any of it is paimon with her like i think it's entirely annie (laughs) like i don't think any of it is the demon influence i mean of course he's like moving things and like convincing her that charlie's around but like i don't think any of it is really influencing her and her choices i think like the biggest villain is a mother's grief in that one. Like, I don't even think she's a bad person. I just think she's like going through so much, like a tremendous loss and like tremendous trauma on this one, you know? Um, Like, so I guess like, you know, heads up deep. (laughs) Like, oh no, (laughs) dark topics. Um, But like, so my cousin died really suddenly in 2020. He was like in his late thirties. Um, it was just like out of nowhere heart attack. Like it was awful. Um, and like, 
my aunt, his mom, found him. She like went into the basement to like get something and like he was still there on her couch, passed away. So it was like really traumatic. Like it was like heartbreaking. And my mom described getting the call from her sister and hearing that same like Tony Collette scream over the phone of just like, he's gone, like Matthew's dead, like he's he's gone, you know? Which was like heartbreaking. Cause like, so, like at the time too, like we got a text from my mom being, she's like, something's wrong with Matthew. Like we think he might've passed away. And I'm thinking she's like being dramatic. I'm like, <laughs> LOL, <laughs> me oh, no. too, dead. <laughs> like it was just, it was the it was the worst, it was just awful. And then she calls me, she's like, no, he he's gone. And I'm like, oh, whoops, <laughs> that's awful. I regret everything for the last hour. Um, <laughs> it was a long I should time. not have laughed at that. I'm so sorry. But it was like I laughed at it at the time too. So don't worry. We're both bad people, apparently. <laughs> um, but like my my aunt was like so overcome with grief that like the best way I can describe it is she kind of started imagining things that weren't really there. Like at my cousin's funeral, she was like. I think I can hear him. Is he talking? I can hear him breathing. Is he moving? And like, you know, obviously he's, he's not, he's in a casket. She's just really grief stricken. Um, you know, my mom was really, really close to my cousin because they were like not too, too far in age, I guess. And then, you know, she'll think she hears him or like sees him. So like, I don't think anything in hereditary is Paimon. I really think it's just like that overwhelming sense of grief and like, desperation that a mom has to like get her kid back you know like I think like if, if memory serves me very similar to like Annie in the film she has gone to see a psychic and a spiritualist and like you know um my cousin's brother has also done the same thing trying to like kind of reach beyond the veil to like you know to speak to Matthew but I'm of the belief that there isn't anything so like I hope it brings them comfort I hope they find what they're looking for um I hope it's not a de demon. <laughs> you know, hope things are cool. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you know, um, but I do also think that, like, in the context of this movie, having seen a really eerily, uncomfortably similar situation, of like, I, I don't blame her at all. <laughs> I don't think she's yeah. in the wrong. I don't think she's even a bad mom. I think she's just like harrowed by grief. You know. Yeah. Um, Sorry. So, no, 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 no. This is good because this is actually kind of opening up a can of worms that we were going to get to uh, later also. I, I feel in a weird place processing all of this because I have lost people in my life too, but everybody that I've lost has been to things that were these slow, gradual processes that gave everybody time to kind of come to terms with what was happening as yeah. like unfortunate as that is. Um, so lost a couple of loved ones to cancer, lost a couple of loved ones to Alzheimer's, very different sort of a dynamic to this. Yeah. I, even with those loved ones lost, I can't imagine what it would be like to just suddenly wake up one morning and be like, that entire portion of my life is just gone now. Yeah. It's uh, that, definitely that an entire... adjustment. Yeah. Um, so, so 
hearing that that kind of rings true, like Tony Collette's reaction to everything, not just the screaming in the morning, but like for the rest of the movie too, kind of yeah. gives me some good perspective on it, I guess. It was, it was definitely like, it was just weird after the fact, you know, yeah. like, like reexamining this movie. I'm like, Oh, but wait a minute. <laughs> I get yeah. it now. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Really glad well, for that hindsight, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, one, let, let me say before we move forward, thank you for sharing that. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so then kind of closing the book on Hereditary then, um, I wanted to kind of circle back to, this is at least the fourth time I've mentioned it now, and we're finally actually going to talk about it, uh, the generational aspect of it. Oh, yeah. um, we've got this we've got this grandma that was heavily involved in the cult worshiping payment um and she is trying to turn like her i i'm gonna use this word even though i'm i know it's the wrong word she's gonna try to turn her forebearers into <laughs> her her followers her like isn't it progeny isn't it progeny there we go uh trying to trying to turn her progeny into um uh, into vessels for this demon uh and we see we see this evil literally passed down through the family but also it feels like ariaster has something bigger to say here about the way we treat people in our families being passed down too um i don't know if i have a question here that was just kind of a thought that I would hope lead would lead into some conversation yeah um, <laughs> well uh, I, I think like just like just kind of have, like you were speaking about it and the entire time like I really want to mention something <laughs> so I'm like glad yes. like, like conversation I'm like I got you <laughs> <laughs> like I I think the most interesting thing about this like generational aspect is because like they're not necessarily trying to pass the demon along to like Annie and Charlie right like they, they mentioned I think at one point that like maybe I'm misremembering but I think Pyman can only come to be in like a male's vessel like he can't be a woman like Pyman mm -hmm. is never able to be a, a woman so like she knows she's never going to be able to like you know make Annie Pyman she knows that Charlie isn't going to ever fulfill this gift but she's definitely needing Peter to like take this role and I find it really interesting that like she basically, I don't want to say she sees her daughter as a disappointment, but like Annie does mention this kind of feeling of like, my mom didn't really care about me. She was always sort of, you know, detached from me. And I think it was a really interesting idea that like, she couldn't, like the grandmother couldn't, not associate, uh, couldn't connect with Annie because Annie wasn't like fulfilling the purpose that like she was needed for. And then she connected with Charlie because Charlie was possessed by Payman, uh, I believe if memory serves me right, but like right. she couldn't be the vessel for it. So there was still kind of that disconnect, that level of separation between them. And then the same thing with Annie and Charlie, like she always had that like detachment and kind of like separation. So like generationally, I think it's almost showing us that like women are almost intentionally separated from like their lineage almost. You know, like the grandmother's living in her own isolation and is choosing her own family, like her her found family of like demon worshippers over like her actual blood relatives. You know, Annie is choosing to kind of like disconnect from her mom because she's like, she's a terrible mother. She's like judging her, but then doing the same thing. There's like that legacy of her being kind of a detached, 
not terribly invested mom. And then Charlie, we don't really get to see how she would have been as a mother, but yeah, we missed that boat. I mean, she Um, cut off a bird, so I'm assuming not great. (laughs) But that's also interesting to think of in the in the light of the dad of the movie who gets precious little screen time but whenever he is there he is just completely and utterly checked out of it and useless oh yeah um tony collette is screaming at her son at the table saying that she hates him that she never wanted to have him like all these horrendous things and he's just sitting there like trying to eat the rest of his meal right like (laughs) he might he might have the uh have the have the uh the, the, the self-awareness to stop eating while this is happening at least and just sit there quietly. But he does nothing to help. And the only active thing he does in the entire movie is get caught on fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> so You're not wrong. <laughs> while, while we've got the women in this story like actively trying to pass this demon down, avoid this demon, protect their family, like move the pieces around. We've got the dad doing nothing. We've got um, Alex Wolf. That's his name, correct? Yeah, yeah the, the character is Peter. The actor is Alex Wolf. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we, we, we've Sorry. got Peter. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. <laughs> Thank you for doing your research like I should have. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's the IMDb on my phone. <laughs> I can't remember names to like save my life. <laughs> um, we we've got him intentionally trying to dodge all of this. He doesn't want anything to do with his family. He's just trying to go to a party, and when he's forced to bring his family and his sister along with him, he kind of resents her for it. He's just trying to get away from her, even at the party. Um, but we we kind of see the two genders like playing their their expected roles in kind of those those i don't want to call it stereotypical but stereotypical ways but i mean that Um, kind of is it though right like most women like from a from a stereotypical like gender convention you know like a really shitty 1920s reel that shows on and tells us how to you know wear skirts and get beer for our husbands you know there is like almost this like (laughs) antiquated societal pressure on like women to continue like the family and to be invested in home life and to like you know i don't want to say be the only you know people to care for their children because that's inaccurate at least you know nowadays but like there was for a very long time right this precedent that it was women who like ran the household who were like you know the primary caregivers to their children and you know they were the primary caregivers for their husband who were, you know, just supporting the house, but not really like involved in it. And like Tony Collette would have been what? She's a, she would have been probably a Gen Xer in this movie. Not, not a boomer, not really. Or like on the cusp of boomer. Yeah. Cusp somewhere right on that line. Yeah. So like some of that societal pressure probably still would have carried over into like this idea of her having begrudgingly to be there for her family and her husband's maybe a little bit more disconnected because like he hasn't necessarily been raised in a society that's telling him he needs to be like the pillar for his family or not even the pillar for his family, the emotional support for his family. Cause he really does kind of serve as like that stoic, like familial figurehead through the whole movie. He's not doing much. Like you said, he's just sort of there being stoic, kind of putting on that face of like, 
I'm going to keep eating dinner, even though my wife is telling my son he should fucking die. <laughs> These peas, yeah. though. Oof, you know? like I brought of- home my check for the week, so I'm just going to sit here and eat my supper. But literally, <laughs> I-, I feel like that's exactly him. I fulfilled my familial obligations that have been like laid out by society. I can, you know, I can spend yeah. the night doing whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And then that's why she drowns, I think, so much in this movie. Yeah, because she has no support anywhere in this movie. And yep. the one time she reaches out to support, reaches out for support, it's the cult. Yeah. <laughs> the cult <laughs> tricks her into reaching out to them for support. So it's, yeah, yeah. she's just abandoned out here to drown. And there's something, there's another level of dark and depressing sitting there also. Yeah, Ari Aster does everything with cults. It's I I really like the way he plays. Like in this one, in Midsummer too, he plays with this idea of like familial isolation and like found family, which is you know found family being cults in this case. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we're diving into all of these like very traditional family value ideas and uh the the right way to do things societally or you know whatever yeah (laughs) um maybe this is a good segue to carrie it actually might be (laughs) all right let's do this um so with carrie um we've got kind of a similar vibe going on there's lots of subplots to Carrie um with Carrie uh reaching womanhood with Carrie developing these powers with just like having a uh a teen drama uh from the high school standpoint but I think the 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 theme that matches most with us is about Carrie's home life uh in the movies uh, why are there two uh oh, yeah there was a reason and it didn't need to exist um I, I always forget that it exists and i'm gonna say kudos <laughs> kudos to my brain for like intentionally <laughs> like no <laughs> there wasn't a remake <laughs> when we were talking about this episode and we were bouncing ideas around and i think you you said carrie i almost messaged you back which carrie and then i realized that is a stupid fucking question <laughs> i do not need to waste your time with that <laughs> i would have been so confused too at first i would have been like the one with the pig's blood <laughs> what other carrie is there <laughs> um chloe grace moretz love her to death oh. that movie didn't need to exist though yeah. um But yeah, so, so there, there is this, there's this plot line at home with Carrie's hyper religious mother, um, trying to come to terms with the fact that her daughter has these telekinetic powers that have only manifested a couple of times, but it apparently scared the shit out of her mother, uh, when it did happen. Understandably, right? Like if if there are rocks falling and hitting my house, I'm gonna like be concerned (laughs) but she handles in a very poor way so i'm I'm gonna kind of toss it to you here so um with carrie's mother what's similar to her with tony collette's character in hereditary what's different uh where does this fall in our evil mother's trope (laughs) i so okay so i feel like they share a lot so like (laughs) tony collette gets pulled into an evil cult 
And so does like, so does Margaret White, only hers is, you know, Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) But like an extreme version of it where like everything is sinful and like the fact that you exist and have tits is a nightmare. Like they're like very, you know, they are essentially demonizing everything. Um, So like there is that similarity of like finding comfort from the people who aren't necessarily like blood relation. Um, I think there's also just this idea of like trauma surrounding childbirth or like conception. Cause like, right. Like Tony Collette's like Annie, um, she has like post, uh, postpartum depression following the birth of Peter. And in this one, um, Margaret, Margaret White, <laughs> like yeah. IMDb, like, yeah, Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Endeavor. laughs> oh my God. <laughs> They're not sponsoring this, but they should consider it. IMDb, um, if you hear this, I'm open to it. <laughs> Great podcast. <laughs> Can confirm. Um, she, uh, more serious now, I guess, she um, has only had sex twice in her life. Like, she she states that, I believe, in the movie, that she's only ever done it twice, and once was, like, before marriage. And she, like, wanted to end her life over, like, sinning that badly. And then the second time was, like, the conception of Carrie and it was marital rape. Like it wasn't even like something she chose. Although she talks about how she did enjoy it. So she like felt even dirtier for it, you know? Um, so there is this like trauma surrounding the existence of, you know, their progeny, you know, they, they don't want these kids, but yeah. they have them. Um, I do think she's a little bit evil though. <laughs> Definitely oh, more sure. evil than Tony Collette. <laughs> I, I I want to throw her all the way under the bus because there is no external force like screwing with her throughout this. It, it is all uh, Carrie's mom, Margaret White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Margaret White. Hey, yeah. it, it is just it is just all Margaret White of her own volition, yeah. being driven to extreme acts of just like literal abuse against her daughter um and the the things that she is seeing as sinful like she's projecting these problems from her own life on her daughter in a way that her daughter doesn't even get a chance to make the mistakes on her own it's oh you had your first period, which means eventually you might have sex. So I'm going to punish you for having your period. Yeah, in, this into is the prayer closet. Human, <laughs> right. This, this is a human thing that was bound to happen at some point. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> um, go to the closet. <laughs> yeah. She literally um, is like shoved into this like terrifying closet. Yeah. <laughs> Harrowing. Yeah. Like I, I feel like with Annie's character, like – They both, so like what I find really interesting as like a character study of these two women is that like Annie is very much traumatized and she's dealing with her own trauma and her own issues with her parents. And like, she has all of that baggage. And the way that she ends up coping with it isn't necessarily to be abusive. Although, I mean, yeah, sure. We could say she's emotionally abusive with Peter towards the end, right? Um, But like leading up to it, it's not so much emotional abuse as it is just like neglect, right? Mm. Like she distances herself. She like cuts herself off from her family. She like puts that layer of like, I guess like a buffer between her and and Peter. She doesn't really want much to do with him. 
Whereas, you know, Margaret, she she kind of goes the opposite route. Instead of like disconnecting, she allows the trauma that she's experienced to like perpetuate that cycle of trauma and like intergenerational violence in Carrie's sake, you know? Instead of it being the reason for her disconnecting and maybe separating herself from her daughter and being like, well, I'm not going to grow or learn from this. <laughs> Annie didn't either. But I, I am instead going to take it and kind of, you know, use it as a catalyst to not connect with my kid. Margaret is like, I'm going to let this trauma influence every decision I make and impact my daughters. I, I don't like, I think she's more evil than Tony in that sense. But I also feel bad for her, right? Because like, if you grow up with those kind of extremist views, it's going to color everything in your life, you know? Like the fact that she had sex, enjoyed it, and then was like, well, time to kill myself. I've sinned <laughs> so profoundly, <laughs> you know? I may be orgasmed, time to die, <laughs> you know? Like, well, you know? can't have that. <laughs> yeah, like it, it just feels like, I don't know, like that kind of life must be horribly traumatic. And if you really do think that your eternal soul is on the line, every time you come, you're going to be real nervous about your daughter. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, oh my gosh, there's so many spinoff things to talk about here. I know, I'm so sorry. Um, I love, no, 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 this is great. This is so much better than, like, I always fear with guests, we'll get in here and I'll, I'll pitch some, like, big lofty idea like this and they'll be like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> like, ah. no no this is amazing uh I love i'm too talkative but i'm i am the opposite and i'm sorry <laughs> no 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 never apologize um but but um i guess the first thing i want to talk about is just the 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 oh god i hate this word the blessing that is living in this time period right now yeah. Uh, where there is so much more like sex positive stuff out there. Like, yeah. yes, you need to be careful. Yes, you need to be cautious and like uh, uh, all the other stuff. But it's not something that you need to be like violently ashamed of the way that it was like a couple of decades ago, even. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like um, the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> right. Disgusting. Um, yeah. Uh, you are all heathenish people for having these lustful thoughts. Like, no, you're a human yeah. being. You were born um, with nipples? Disgusting. <laughs> Shameful creature. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm personally offended. you make offended. that choice? <laughs> um, so it's, it, it's great to live in a time when we see so many more, like, pieces of entertainment coming out, like, being like, no, this is okay. Like, you're, 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 you're a normal person um giving people kind of the ownership of their own bodies and choices like yeah love it um other thing that you were talking about that i wanted to kind of like keep expanding on though was just this idea that yes evil mothers is a horror trope but even within this trope there's so much variation in the styles of evil we see in these mothers oh yeah like, that was that was the thing that didn't really click with me until I started thinking about it and like preparing show notes for this episode was we've got the, I love you so much. I'm going to do all this stuff for you mothers versus the fuck you get out of my face. Mothers versus the, what the hell even is that mothers? Like we are all over the place here. And 
it's incredible to me that any direction you go um, with the moms in this case, the extremity is bad. Like there is no good extremity with mothers. If you go too far in the I love you direction, then the mothers get overbearing and ridiculous. And hey, this is where we talk things out. (laughs) (laughs) Versus if you go in the neglectful direction, it's it's hereditary. It's loathing your your children and bringing them up in this environment where they hate themselves for existing because you hated them for existing. Oh, yeah. Like it, it, you've got to find happy mediums here. And it's just cool to me that we can go go so bad in so many different ways. Oh, yeah. They they all have, like, a unique flavor of, like, evil, right? Like, my partner was even, like, I was I was telling him, like, you know, like, I'm talking about this tonight. He's like, are you guys talking about, like, the mom and alien? And I was like, no. He's <laughs> like, oh, you, you should have, like, the, the queen, right? Like, the mom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> I I hadn't even thought of it. (laughs) That's so weird, though, because in my mind, the alien queen doesn't even register as an evil mom. That is a mom just trying to protect her offspring. Exactly. Like that. That's just like that's a good mom in my book. It's a good mom, (laughs) but it's a it's a monstrous mom, right? There's something absolutely horrifying of this mom being like, "I love you so much. I'm gonna like let you explode out of someone's chest." Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill everyone for you, my love. You know, and yeah. then I I think it's Ripley is like the other mother in Alien. Like she's trying to protect like mm-hmm. a, a young girl. I I haven't even seen the full <laughs> movie. I'm like the only person I think who's like never seen like the full oh Alien series. I know, I know. I haven't even seen, <laughs> I haven't even seen the first one. I think oh, that was okay. Alien. The second right. one's Aliens. That's that's oh. yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll leave that alone. the 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 first Alien is like a like small scale isolation movie. Yeah. Alien. Like I, I get the I know what yeah. happens. I get the gist of yeah. it. I've like I've, I've read the synopsis. <laughs> yeah. I just like I've never bothered to watch it, which sounds horrible to say it out loud. But like, yeah, there's a whole bunch of movies that are like really popular in in this like the mama trauma genre that I probably should have been watching. <laughs> That is such a better name for this episode, Mama Drama. Oh, why I, didn't I ask? I didn't even come up with it. It was a Lindy Rand who did. Oh, I'm redoing God. the I'm redoing the logo card for this episode now. I'm renaming it. I'm deleting all the past oh. tweets and retrying. Everything's just like a Mama Drama thing now. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, God, the credit for that has to go out to uh, Lindy Ryan. She was the one okay. who, uh, I think, I don't know if she coined the term, but she was the one who introduced me to it at the very least. So, I'm yeah. giving her credit for it. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I attributed her every time I say mama drama. I'm like, I didn't come up with that. <laughs> Smarter people than I did. <laughs> um, so, okay. Any more closing thoughts on Carrie before we go to mama for the mama drama? God, I mean, I guess the only kind of closing thought I have on Carrie, and it's not even like being like, oh, yes, Margaret was <laughs> right. <laughs> it's more just like this idea of like, I can't help but feel bad for her. Because like, we're looking at this as like, oh, wow, like, we don't get to pick the moms. The moms are crazy, you know. But like, mm-hmm. at the same time, the moms don't get to pick us, right? Like, the parents never get to choose how their kid is going to turn out. And if you have this person like Margaret, 
who's already just fearful of everything around her and the world she exists in. And then she births the child that she thinks is a witch because <laughs> she can move things with her mind. Like, I can't help but, I mean, again, I don't like her, but I can't help but like empathize a little bit or sympathize or whichever the correct one is, um, like with her, because like, what do you do? What do you do when the kid you have, you don't like, or you're scared of like, you know, there's mama trauma, yeah. but then there's also like trauma for those mamas, <laughs> you know? So I can't help but feel kind of bad for her. She deserves to die though. So, you know, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, for sure. When, when Carrie stops her heart, it's a, it's a winning moment in the film. Yeah. I don't feel bad for her in that scene. <laughs> I just feel bad that like, she existed at all, I guess. So yeah, I so much of went what went wrong with her wasn't her fault, and that sounds very dismissive and like apologetic for her. But but that's it. Between though. yeah, the, the nature versus nurture. Like there, there's a whole conversation to be had here. I guess. I, yeah. I mean, you can't um, help what happens to you, but like, like she couldn't help the trauma that happened to her and I get how it shapes her character and influences her much like Annie's trauma shapes her and influences her in Hereditary, but like you can choose what you do with that trauma, I guess is sort of the, yeah. you know, the yeah. moral of the story. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's a damn good moral that, that yes. Thank you. <laughs> you, you. You put my thoughts together for me. <laughs> Um, but man, we are nailing the segues right now. Um, if we are thinking about nature versus nurture then, so let's go, let's go to mama because here we see the absolute worst case scenario of nurture. Oh yeah. (laughs) Namely none. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) I... Let me let me try to remember exactly how this went down. We watched this movie two weeks ago uh, to get ready for this podcast. My wife and I. My wife has made this habit of trying to watch most of the horror movies I'm watching with me because, like, she she wants to get it. Yeah, uh, I'm so she... sorry because Mama's a terrible movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, I fucking hate it. <laughs> what movie did she think it was? Uh she. Oh, okay. So she thought it was the Blumhouse movie from like two years ago, Ma, uh, where oh a bunch God, of college kids, uh, yeah, where, where a bunch of college kids get attacked by by the titular mom. So mentally, that is what she's bracing herself for. <laughs> so we kick off this movie, and we both have uh, we we have very young kids right now one is 14 months old and one is three years old and they are completely helpless and the exact same age as the kids in the movie yeah so when we (laughs) rev up mama and i know what i'm in for but she apparently has no clue oh no that car crashes in the woods and those kids are abandoned she did not watch the rest of the movie with me. She could yeah. not handle that. That was a lot. Yeah. Um, so I had to like, I had to go find her and explain to her like, no, no, no. Okay. Here's what the movie is. The kids get abandoned in the woods. So sad. Super traumatic. 
Not a great setup. Their mother is but, also killed by their father. Let's just, you know, it's already terrifying. Yeah, no, everything about this setup is grotesque. Yeah. Um, but, you know, something in the woods finds them and they it raises the kids and the kids don't die out there. So I was able to lure her back in with that. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. She comes back and she watches it. And then the rest of the movie is just bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's Guillermo del Toro. So I had such high hopes for it, but wow it's a garbage fire <laughs> they were like um, what if we had this really really great opening and then did nothing with it and they were like brilliant <laughs> that's the yeah. movie i want <laughs> i was i was in a dark emotional place when mama took over in the cabin and snapped jamie lannister's neck and that is the only thing i'm ever going to know that actor as <laughs> um, yeah. When when she murders him, and then he shows back up, but he's got a slightly different haircut. So apparently now it's <laughs> yeah. the uncle. It's not him. <laughs> it's his twin brother. What? Okay, Del Toro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Like okay. Um, yeah, but it's just I don't know. I I have a lot of negative things to say about this movie, so I'll let you start off with it. <laughs> I don't have anything but... good to say. I, I have like yeah I. Okay, so I hate the movie. I should preface this with that. I should have. I should have led. Right. I do not like this movie. I think it's a garbage can movie. But I do like the dichotomy between like this woman, this you know, Mama, who I think her name is Edith. I think it's established later on that her mm. her human name when she was alive was Edith. Um, this idea, and, and she just like so profoundly has that need to be a mother. Um, and then there's like. Annabelle, who wants nothing with kids, who like is a reluctant mom. Like she eventually does kind of get into that. Um, she has that, I wouldn't say maternal instinct, but like she does end up adopting that like role as their mom. Um, but it, it's very much reluctantly so. So I kind of liked that, um, that juxtaposition. The movie itself, <laughs> however, <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, all bad. Um, yeah, I, okay, so starting with Jessica Chastain, Annabelle, um, and the, the super reluctant mother, I, I don't know if it's her motherly instinct kicking in as much as just like her being a decent human being Yeah, and seeing these kids suffering and like needing somebody to like give a shit about them and not be in a hospital um which not mutually exclusive but like when when jamie lannister's in the hospital for the entire second third of the movie like the one why do both of his characters get killed off or like just the first one yeah (laughs) okay i i have to imagine that the budget was so tight that they couldn't (laughs) afford to get jamie lannister and like some guy who looked like he could be somewhat related to Jamie Lannister. <laughs> and then they were like, Jamie Lannister is still very expensive. Let's have him in only a third of the movie. Yeah, set, set him in a bed. Just get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, roll him away. <laughs> we don't need him for this. Um, yeah, I I don't I I think the only reason that like Annabelle, I keep wanting to call her Abigail, Annabelle steps up. Um, is, is exactly that. She's a good person. And I also think that, like, who's the, what's the oldest kid? Uh, it's not L- Victoria, I think. Um, 
yeah, the older child, Victoria, starts to kind of like, I don't want to say reciprocates like feelings, but begins to treat her with like a mutual level of respect and starts mm -hmm. to like kind of remember things as they were before they were sort of abandoned in the middle of nowhere. So it almost feels like she's kind of coming back to that familiar sense to her or, you know, maybe she's excited to start a new, you know, what have you. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's, yeah, I really don't think it's a maternal instinct, but I do, I do think she does kind of become that like reluctant mother figure who then like she does embrace it at the end. She is, she seems very happy with Victoria, but she very much Tony Collette's Lily, where like she has a has a preferred kid. Yeah. <laughs> and is like just fine with the other one dying. And it so. so the 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 parallels with hereditary are so weird here because spoilers, jumping to the end. Yeah. Um Lily like ends up dying also and it seems to be like i don't know exactly what message del toro was going I for know. here but the message seems to be like oh she didn't connect with real mother so now she's gonna die yeah what are <laughs> we doing here <laughs> um yeah. she goes with mama from the woods uh she she goes cliff diving in the worst possible spot yeah. Um, Why would you pick the spot with the branch? <laughs> like, I'm so mad. The, the worst thing, the thing that got me the most pissed, I'm sorry, like, I'm not talking about the spoiler, but like, so, <laughs> so like, Mama is established earlier on as a girl named Edith who has a kid who I think is institutionalized. And then mm -hmm. she like escapes with her child and is like, I'm going to be free with my baby. And then she jumps off this ledge hits the branch with the kid and like she dies and crashes into the water. And I imagine the child also passed away from the impact of falling onto a branch, but his like little bundle of cloth was like hooked onto it. So like he never drowned with her. Right. Right. So like, if that was the catalyst for keeping you on this tethered to the earth for all of these years, wandering, looking for your baby, why would you take the second one off the same precarious ledge where the branch right. at any second could impede this all over. Oh, I was, I was so was, mad. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, oh. you, you are preaching to the choir here. Oh. Um, I get that poetically having them jump off the same spot is like visually parallel. Sure. But like three feet to the left. <laughs> Right. to the side because like you see the branch ends pretty suddenly like it's not like it mm. extends forever and yeah there, there's so many problems with like demonizing the mental health aspect of things again like that is yeah. a trope that we will never cover on this show because but, it's not a good one um it it doesn't deserve to be continued somebody stop putting this in hollywood movies yeah. Um, and just like it, it plays on so many awful things. Yeah. Um, like I'm like, so for my frustration too, is like, I was fine with the idea of like the traditional, like woman in white, right? Like the woman who was like looking for her, her dead love or like killed her. So now she haunts the earth or like in this case, like she's lost a child, you know, usually by her own hand, which, you know, would have been, you know, the, the suicide with her and her kid. Right. Like that would have been 
fine of her like being this woman in white who like forever and eternity must collect children's souls to be satiated like reverse woman in black kind of situation you're like fine like whatever right you know but like yeah it it wasn't it was just like nonsensical let me steal this one kid i have no relation to and now i'm sated yeah 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 i, I was I livid i hated it <laughs> so bad um all right, I I don't really want to keep talking about this. I'm okay movie. with that. I, I feel like we beat it down enough. <laughs> yeah. Like we got the point. Like it, it the yeah. the evil mother's trope is not always a hit. Uh, sometimes yeah. it is very much a CGI riddled miss. <laughs> yeah, uh, but always rooted in some kind of like grief. In some kind of like that's like the one through line I will say that like all these evil mom tropes have in common. It's either like the grief of like having lost a child and trying to like get it back or like surmount that loss in their life, or they're like, you know, grieving the child like the way that kid was at one point in their life. So like in Carrie, she's not worried that her she's not mourning Carrie, but she's mourning like who Carrie was as a as a younger kid. Like there is that through line of grief. And I like that even in this like monster movie they touched on that like that kind of idea but no it was trash <laughs> yeah garbage <laughs> um let's let's follow up let's follow up the the down tick in the episode with an uptick here so let's go <laughs> to something that i know i enjoy and i think you probably enjoy too i am a I fan <laughs> let's talk about this is where we talk things out yay <laughs> um so First thing straight out of the gate here, let, let's get the like basis of the podcast premise out of the way. Uh, we've talked about three movies. Now we're transitioning to a, it's officially a novella, right? It is, yeah. Okay. Uh, so now we're transitioning to a novella, a written word story. As far as the trope of evil mothers is concerned, is there anything that you think the written word helped you with in getting this whole trope across that maybe movies wouldn't have had at their advantage or flip it and reverse it? Was there anything you kind of struggled with in writing this that maybe a movie wouldn't have had to deal with? Um, I think that being able to write it really allowed me to get into like the psychology of Miller, the daughter, so not the evil mom. Um, yeah. because like, they're like a substantial part of this book, like despite, like, I like to think it's pretty fast paced. Um, yes. you know, and, and there is quite a bit that happens in a very short amount of time, but there is, despite this, a substantial amount of Miller just looking at things and being like, oh no, <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> oh, hmm, <laughs> you know, and like, if you, cause like, I mean, is it okay if I talk a bit about what happens? Is that our, is, you know, I imagine we're spoiling yes. it. So, so uh. <laughs> As the author, I am going to follow your lead here with how much we want to dive into spoilers. I am Anything okay you want to keep close to the chest? <laughs> I, okay, right, I'm okay ruining <laughs> this whole book. Just understand if you're listening to it from this point on, you're ruining the book for yourself. Yes. <laughs> like, and like, side note, you you deserve to get the full impact of this story on the first. Like, you deserve this book. Go get it. It is not expensive. It will take you one afternoon to read, two afternoons if you're slow like me. Um, and, and you can knock this thing out. It is so worth the trip. Turn off the podcast. I will not begrudge you at all. 
come back to us when you're ready. Yeah, come, come ready? back to it. <laughs> Three, two, one. Okay, we're good. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> so it's just like, so when she gets to the cabin that looks so much like her childhood home, and there's like this huge alarm bell going off, I think that would be like harder to translate visually than through the written word. Because she's able to look at these things and be like, because like, how do you really capture the uncanny valley of a location you've been to? You know, like she grew up in this home. We didn't, right? Like as, as the reader, as the audience who would be watching this as a movie, like we didn't grow up there. Um, so like you can make it unsettling. You can show that she used to live in a house that was styled identically to this one. But like when you're reading it, you're really able to have her like look at the doormat and like look at the hanger and be like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. You know, when she pulls on a pair of like, child's underwear for herself that are like been made to be a grown-up's pair of underwear like that's fucking terrifying like that experience is is, oh i hated it (laughs) so i think that's that's yeah i think the written word certainly helped with that um uncanny valley aspect nice and that's super similar to the note i had written down for this part too um something i really appreciated about your work was um there is so much gaslighting going on this entire story by the mom and miller sticks this thing out to a dangerous point a tragic um, point i mean <laughs> a tragic point and I think if we were just watching this as a movie or as a as an episode of Creep Show or something, I would have been standing up and screaming so many different times. Yeah. Fucking leave. Like, why are you still here? Why are you not leaving? I would have gotten to the point where I was just calling the character an idiot. Like, you are so yeah. stupid for going through this. But with the written word, with you being in her head, you were very good at giving reasonable explanations for why okay this is clearly a warning sign she should be getting out but here is why she's staying and she thinks through that yeah um so i think that that was a yeah that that was a really great trick that you pulled off that kept this thing feeling realistic the entire time to me and kept me invested in the character at points where cinematically i would have been checked out that that was like my biggest concern so i'm so glad <laughs> that it, it, i did it all right because like that is, that is literally the thing that i find really fun and frustrating in movies right it's like you as the audience see the red flags right like if someone says get into my car don't take yours take only mine and we're gonna go to the middle of fucking nowhere and i'm not gonna tell you where it is just trust that you're fine you're gonna be like well, we had a good time, didn't we? And you're going to fuck <laughs> right. off. Like, you're not going to go. But like, if it's your mom and she's just desperately trying to reconnect with you and you have this history of her kind of doing this and she's really eager to connect with you and she's picking you up and she's like, come on, we're going to be late. And she's like, you know, trying to hurry you along. And you're like, I know my mom. I can trust my mom. Right? My mom isn't going to do anything except for maybe be annoying. So, like, I can go on this trip. Of course it's fine. And then it's fucking not fine. It is not okay. It's not Um, fine very quickly. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, just the fact that moms by the nature of their like biological relationship to their offspring, that they can prey on that connection and that sort of history. Like it, it sets them up to be this immensely powerful villain because you can throw out logic in places where otherwise it would have applied. Yeah. Because, um, like, even if like even if it's not, like, your biological kid, right, if you have that, like, power dynamic, if you have that sense of, like, authority set up where you're supposed to, like, well, you know, your mom, you know, tells you what to do when you're a kid or, like, your mom has, like, that, that sense of, of familial authority and then, like, well, it's your mom, you know, related or not, she's supposed to be able to protect you and make you feel safe. So, like, if she says trust her, you have to think right? She's doing it with like good intentions. And like the frustrating part is Sylvie is doing it with good intentions. They're just so warped. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Like she doesn't see herself as the villain of the story. She sees herself as the hero. Like Sylvie is getting her family back. What an accomplishment. She set out to do the impossible. (laughs) And I, I love the way that your story also uses that perspective and uses that idea that the mom thinks she's in the right and that the mom has gone through such insane like literally insane lengths uh to to fulfill her plot yeah um she she uses that and she weaponizes guilt in a way that i feel like only moms can yeah (laughs) um Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the the don't you love me card that she whips out over and over again just got to me because I've been the victim of that card before. Like my mom had like growing up, my mom got two points where she would say things like that just because like she didn't have another card to play. She needed me to do whatever the fuck it was. Um, so listen. If you love me, you'll just do this. Yeah. Yeah. That's All a right, thing. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I used to, so like, it's really funny because like, I get, love my mom. <laughs> mom, I love you. <laughs> Stop watching. <laughs> um, no, but like, I love my mom. But like, that is one of those things that like she has done and will do is if she wants me to do something like so for instance, like I don't live terribly far from like public transit. It's quite safe in the area I live in. Like I don't, you know, fear for my life and safety. Um, very thankfully. Um, so if I'm going somewhere late at night, she'd be like, take an Uber or like call a cab, like don't walk alone. It's like, I'm fine. Like my partner's meeting me. Like I'll, we're going to be fine. Caitlin, don't you love me? D- don't you love me? <laughs> take, take a, take a cab. You love me. I'm your mother. And she'll like play cards like that. Everything from like things that have to do with my well-being to like we have an extra sofa we don't want to keep the sofa it costs too much money to give the sofa away don't you want the so don't you love me <laughs> like she'll, she'll do that and it's gone to the point now where like admittedly i do it back to her or my dad um like bless bless his heart growing up my favorite line was dad do you love me <laughs> i'd love to go to this concert and he's like you're a bitch <laughs> but i do love you god damn it <laughs> like, I will go to the concert. <laughs> yeah, but that's literally my 
my poor dad. And he knew I was joking. Like, I was not that much of an asshole. But, like, <laughs> I, I would I, – I still do. <laughs> yeah. Like, dad, do you love me? <laughs> Haven't you bought my book yet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I give him oh free copies. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> um, I I feel like there are so many different circumstances and ways that that can be played in perfectly innocent ways. Like it's just this little white lie built into relationships of yeah. like, okay, you'll do this because you love me. And like, normally it's fine. Like, okay, yes, I'll come help you move. Yeah. Or, okay, yes, I'll, 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 Fine, you know, we'll go watch to the movie. This movie with you that I don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll watch Mama with you, which I don't want to watch. Literally, right? <laughs> oh, fine, we'll watch this for the hunt. My poor partner, like I, I have a love of Scooby Doo. He, he doesn't like Scooby Doo. He's not a Scooby Doo fan. He doesn't hate Scooby Doo, just like honest thing. And it's that, like he's like, fine, I love you. Let's put on the new. <laughs> You're 31 for Christ's sake, but let's put on Scooby Doo. <laughs> Never apologize for Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo is 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 a religion in this household. Thank you. Um, especially, um, so my my soon to be three year old is finally at the point where he can like watch a TV show and process what's going on. So yeah. we've been looking for things to watch for him to watch that don't drive me fucking insane. <laughs> Um, you can only watch so many episodes of Paw Patrol or anything else yeah. before the repetitive storyline kills me. Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated is like the gold standard for me now. Like it's simplistic enough that he's buying into it and it's Scooby-Doo and there's a bigger storyline. Oh yeah. Love it. The new, Love I, it. This is such a total sidebar, but the new movie, Trigger or Treat Scooby-Doo is just like, it's so funny. It's like so self-referential. Um, and like Velma, well, they're saying Velma's lesbian. I maintain that she's bisexual because canonically she has liked men as well. So I'm I'm saying she's one of my people and bisexual, but she's also a lesbian. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they force her into a relationship with Shaggy like yeah, frequently, no. don't they? Yeah. They, yeah, they like allude <laughs> to it. I think in the cartoons, like the older ones, they sort of suggested it in one of the movies that came out not too long ago uh too long ago halloween or happy halloween scooby-doo she like said she's gonna kiss shaggy is like i could kiss you and he's like well that escalated quickly like he's into it like i don't know a L- little too much yeah. so this was nice very they're big like, sidebar they're, there <laughs> they're the worst written will they won't they in, in <laughs> everyone's like won't won't they don't <laughs> won't they Stop just it. don't do it nobody needs that yeah um but yeah, okay, sidebar. <laughs> um, another thing that I really liked about the novel, novella, sorry, uh, don't don't let me mislabel it. Um, <laughs> it kind of straying away from the evil mother's trope again, though. Um, the memories aspect of it. There is this. There is this heavy theme of the mom trying to recreate things exactly the way she remembered them from Miller's youth. Um, And there is the Miller aspect of things where yes, visually this looks very similar, but your memory is totally distorted. Uh, This is not the way this played out. This is not the way that this thing like should be right. Uh, I think the big one that stuck out to me was the dinner. Yeah. Um, her and her dad had gone to do 
something or another. And whenever they returned, there was this dinner made. And the mom thought that Miller loved this dinner, loved breakfast. There, there were like, yeah, there was like the big brunch and stuff. And then there was like a, a big right. dinner thing. And uh, but, but Miller was like, I don't even really like this stuff. So the mom's thinking of it this way. It's really this way. Like the memory's all distorted. Yeah. Um, that encapsulated with, Again, I'm just making up random ass words here, but whatever <laughs> that tied in with the the Alzheimer's angle. So yeah, uh, in the book, Miller's father had passed away years ago from Alzheimer's, and we're kind of yeah. like getting this idea that maybe that was the catalyst for her mom's like cracking. Uh, yeah, the dad had like sudden onset Alzheimer's, so it, like progressed really quickly. Like it went from like forgetting a couple of things to like who. Sorry, like, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> Stranger? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Um. So I have a very unfortunate familiarity with Alzheimer's and memory and things of that nature. But I want to hear, like, from your perspective, where is that kind of coming from, from, from you? What, what inspired that whole angle of this novella because that that's something that made it really work for me is it's not just an evil no evil mother novella like there's all of this other subtext worked in here too um with it with the memories angle and everything else that made it feel so organic and realistic to me Thanks. um <laughs> it, it hit at a deeper level than i think a lot of other novellas managed to reach because it was so honest with this memories concept thank you i, I just rambled for a long time no i love it <laughs> thank, <laughs> <praise kinda>. me. <laughs> thank you worship 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 um where'd the inspiration for that come from uh was that intentional or did that just kind of like happen as the story was developing like where how do you it come was, about this so it was like a kind of mixture of things so like it was really interesting setting out to write this i wasn't trying to write like I mean, I knew it was going to be like an evil mom story, but it wasn't meant to be like evil. Like she is a person she is kind of going through this like trauma. And I love the idea of like specifically the gaslighting element, right? Like there is this idea of like what Miller remembers and then like how her mom remembers it. And like even like little things of like, you know, her, her mom making like kind of half-assed fat phobic comments or like judgment about like her and Florence. Like, well, you guys are like smoking weed all the time. And she's like, we don't smoke. Like, what are you... Like, where are you making this up from? And I liked the idea of, like, anchoring these two, like, conflicting narratives about the same story in this idea of, like, this greater thematic idea of, like, how memory impacts us and how, like, memories fading also impact us and how they, they kind of, you know, it doesn't really matter what the truth is. What matters is how you remember the truth or how you forget it, Right. Um, so that was like the big catalyst of using like a lot of that, that memory talk and those reflections. Um, the other one, quite honestly, is very similarly, I have an experience in my life. My, uh, my grandmother has Alzheimer's, so she, um, didn't have it sudden onset. Um, it's been like a really, uh, slow progression. Um, she started forgetting things here and there, um, when I was in high school and she was like in her sixties. Um, sorry. Uh, she was like forgetting like things here and there. And then it kind of got a bit worse as I was like in college. Um, so she was, you know, seeing a doctor about it and they were like, 
we don't want to tell you, but you know, she, she has Alzheimer's. It's not going, it's not going to get better from here. It's only going to go downhill. Um, and that's kind of how it's been for like the last like 10 plus years now. Um, she is still around, like she's still alive. Um, but she is very much nonverbal. She lives with my grandfather in like a special care home. Um, she's at the point now where she's having a hard time eating. So we know it's not going to be too, too much longer from here on out. Um, which is kind of like, you know, it's pretty depressing, but at the same time, like that's sort of where the interesting part of the story is to me in like where we, you know, the story we talk things out in the sense that like Miller's version of Alzheimer's, like her father's version was sudden onset. It was quick. It was debilitating. It sort of happened much faster than like the regular progression of Alzheimer's would happen. Right. Um, so I kind of took the experience that I'm living with my grandmother where like, as horrible as it sounds, I've made peace with her passing like five years ago. Like she stopped being the grandmother I knew a while. Like she she helped raise me. I like spent a lot of time with her. Um, my brother got really sick when I was young um, and he was in the hospital dying. He had his last rites and everything. Um, he pulled through, he's fine. He's now a <laughs> six four ginger, <laughs> massive guy. Um, but at the cool. time he like got really sick, had a weak heart um, and they were like, yeah, he's gonna die. So be okay with it. So I, I lived with my grandparents for like a time, you know? So I'm, I'm very yeah. close with them. Um, and she just, she stopped being alive in that sense a while ago. And I just wanted to know how like, how that loss would happen really fast. And like, what, like, how would that impact it? Kind of like we talked about oddly enough, full circle at the beginning of, of this with like the very sudden loss of my cousin, how does it happen when like that person is still around, but the memories they had of you and that relationship are gone, like overnight almost, you know, like how do you move forward? In Miller's case, uh, with extreme difficulty and resentment towards her mother, you know, for not being the mom she needed and basically having to be the mom in that situation. Um, whereas, for Sylvie, it was very much a matter of like, I was the stoic, caring, loving mother. And I'm just trying to like, get my daughter back. I can't fathom why she doesn't like me anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, oh my gosh, hearing you talk about that. Um, so same basic situation with me and my grandfather. He had Alzheimer's when I was younger. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a couple of years where I knew, and this sounds so awful to say, but uh, I had a couple of years where I got to know the real him. Um, and then there were a lot of years after that where it was kind of other him. Yeah. Um, the, the big turning point, like he was teaching me how to play chess whenever I went over there, like once or twice a year, he'd teach me how to play chess. And there was this one moment where he was like moving the pieces wrong. And even like little me was like, that's not what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and, and it just kind of like degrades and degrades and degrades until the point where you're right. It, you make your peace with it because they don't seem like the same person anymore. Like they, they have kind of transitioned into something else they're still the same person yeah. but they're not the same person it's just yeah this whole thing i in some ways it's so much better than the sudden onset deaths and in some ways it's so much worse um yeah. so it's just it it's it's a lot to 
kind of grapple with, I guess. Yeah. Like um, for, for me, like the most start, like for, again, my grandmother's still around. Like she, she hasn't passed yet, but like, it's very much a matter of like, you know, the, the lights are on, but you know, no one's home. And like yeah. her, her big thing was like, so she, so my aunt Debbie, um, has brown hair and she looks, I don't know what it is, but I look like everyone in my family. Like if I go out, they're like, oh yeah, it's your kid or your, you know, like, oh, your mom, you know, even if I'm with like my uncle, I'm not related to They're just like, oh yeah, you're related. I don't know why I have a chameleon face for this family. <laughs> Couldn't tell you why. So like, I look like Debbie, depending on <laughs> who I'm standing next to, I guess. And it was just, I remember distinctly like being like in college and I'd come on over, I'd come over for something to help them with, with something. And I was like sitting at the table playing cards with my grandma and she's like, Debbie, you're home from school early. And she just had this whole conversation with like mm-hmm. Debbie. And I was so confused. And then she was like, oh, Caitlin, what are you doing? And she was like, you know, walking away. And I'm like, well, this was, this was a lot very unexpectedly today. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. Getting you confused with somebody else. And yeah, like with my grandfather, it, it wasn't even somebody that I knew. So there was no context there. He he would just call me these totally random names. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. I'll be Carl today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's exactly (laughs) it. (laughs) Hello, Mary. I'm like, yes, it's me. It's I, Mary, your nemesis. <laughs> you know? Oh man, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> okay, so 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 coming back to the story though, so we've got we've got a very similar theme kind of playing out here, where where the dad died from this, and the mom is actively not participating in any of these transitory mindsets. Like yeah. Miller is still the same person she was in high school, and damn anyone that tells Sylvie otherwise. Um, yeah. And so, I tried to justify oddly enough through Alzheimer's in that sense. Like she lost her husband so quickly and the person he was so quickly, the idea of losing her daughter, even though she's not losing her daughter, it's just like that regular progression. Like, I hope that was, I hope that kind of came through. I was trying to do that. Yeah. But I hope that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it, just, just that fear of it happening with both of them. Even yeah. though for the dad, it was this natural is not the right word. I am so bad with my words. No, tonight. but like even natural. Um, I mean, even though it was this this disease that made yeah. it happen to the dad, and it was it was like the natural flow of life that made it happen with Miller. Like they both entered different phases. Yeah. Um, and in one case, Sylvie couldn't control it. In the other case, she thought she could. And like, it just brought her to this dark place. Like I, I I was with you there. I was with the parallels. (laughs) That is, that is a huge relief. (laughs) I was like, please, (laughs) everyone get it. (laughs) I was like trying to make it like, I wanted it to be clear, but like, I didn't want it to be heavy handed. It's my first novella. I was sweating profusely the whole time I was writing it. I was so yeah. nervous. No, no, no. It oh. it was great. Um, the I think the thing it didn't click with me at first, but there was that picture that Miller kept coming back to that I think the second or the third time she was looking at it in the hall, I was like, I I see it. And I bet I know who's upstairs now. <laughs> I see what's going on. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I guess spo- extra spoiler if you or if you're still here. 
<laughs> Triple spoiler now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like the reveal that, like, the dad's body is upstairs. Like, I don't think it's... Okay, so this is going to be maybe an unpopular opinion. But I do not think there are too many twists in horror. Like, I really do not feel like as a genre, there's something that I can see and be like, wow, it's, it's, I've never in my life seen this happen. You know, I've, I've never seen a body hidden somewhere, you know, like we have Psycho, we have, you know, all these movies. Um, So to me, it wasn't like, I I hope people don't think that like, that is the big twist. Because to me, that was like, it was a twist. If you didn't see it coming, if you didn't catch the hands, if you didn't, you know, register the horrible dank smell that was coming from the door, you know, right. the mom is the talking to someone. Gonna... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you mean Florence, the girl you hate? Of course, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if you didn't get those, you know, kind of ham-fisted <laughs> like hints, but like I wanted the big twist to not be the revelation of the dad, but of like the fact that they do end up all becoming a family. <laughs> I, yes. So uh, closing, <laughs> closing the door on, on the book, I was looking for the happy ending the entire time <laughs> because there were so many things set up that could have come in to be the knight in shining armor <laughs> if you chose to go that route. Yeah. Uh, There were the text messages that might have actually gotten sent. There was uh, Miller's Miller's girlfriend or wife? Uh, Fiance. Fiance. Uh, There there was Miller's fiance (laughs) back at home that, like, she knew from the jump that this was a bad idea. So, like, maybe she had slipped a tracker on the car or something less ridiculous yeah. <laughs> like maybe she was gonna come in or like th- there were things set up and then you just said nope <laughs> not today <laughs> <laughs> not today <laughs> and it caught me so off guard like it it functioned like a like a last little twist for the book yeah. so i because like so this is like my big thing <laughs> this is like one of my big things i i love whenever there's like a storm going on so no one can leave But, like, they made a whole big hullabaloo about how, like, we can actually take the car up north despite the storm. And, like, Mm -hmm. Sylvie was so, like, oh, whatever, nonchalant, Quebecois, snowstorm, we'll be fine, nothing to worry about. And, like, Miller the whole time was so nervous about the snowstorm. And I just, I don't know what it was. Maybe I'm just an asshole. But I love the idea of the snowstorm she had been so worried about being her undoing like she takes yeah. the keys she finally gets away and then the storm causes her to crash the goddamn car i was like <laughs> excellent <laughs> oh. was was that the planned ending the entire time or was that like a bad mood one day and being like you know what no i'm sticking with it <laughs> right. no so that had so okay so there were actually two endings that i had kind of gone between i had thought from the very beginning that i wanted miller to end up in this place i hadn't been sure if i was gonna kill her off and then i was like that feels <laughs> this is horrible to say but that feels too easy let's give her a fate worse than like worse than death so she's like you know She's quadriplegic and she's trapped in this house now as like a rag doll for her mom to dress up as she wants kind of thing. Very much alive, very much unhappy, very much stuck, you know, in, in this like nightmare. Um, so that was like one of the ones I'd wanted. And then the other one, strangely enough, 
the other like the other ending I'd kind of like I kind of debated for a little while and then like very firmly was like, no, fuck it. We're doing the original one was like having Miller kind of like really badly hurt Sylvie, like bash her over the head or push her down the stairs or something that caused some kind of damage so that essentially the, the mom would have been sort of in Miller's place. And instead of leaving, she felt this like obligation to take care of her mom and stayed. <laughs> Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. So that those were the two endings. I knew I wanted her to end up in this cabin, but I didn't think like, I feel like she had worked so hard to get out and had established these like firm boundaries and had kept pushing back against her mom this whole time that like it, it felt disingenuous to have that ending. Cause I don't think if Miller had the chance, she would have stayed. Like, I don't think she would have been like, wow, I, I fucked up my mom. Well, I guess I live here now. Like, I just, it didn't feel sincere. But that was the other ending I had kind of toyed with. It was like having her, like, well, she is my mom kind of vibe. So that was the other one. And I I didn't, I think rightfully didn't pick it. Yeah, I I like the ending you went with. But that other one, like, that is a really fun, like, gut punch. Yeah. Where it's like, now she's still chained to her mom forever. <laughs> yeah. You know. So. But now the ties are metaphorical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Do like, we go with physical change or metaphorical chains? <laughs> in, in, well, we didn't do any chains. We, we chose a, a bad lumbar accident. <laughs> the C4 vertebrae. <laughs> or something. Oh, my God. I don't know which part of her back broke, but it's, it's the bad one. <laughs> four sounds good yeah yeah um yeah i know nothing about anatomy my sister's a nurse she watches every episode i am 100 percent sure she's gonna send me a text at the end of this thing like (laughs) fucking idiot there's no c4 vertebrae this bitch made it up (laughs) she does write fiction (laughs) um well uh i guess let's go ahead and Enter some closing thoughts here. So of all of our evil mothers uh, on the episode, which mother, I guess let me phrase this two different ways because I think there could be two different answers here. Which mother would you take as our evilest mother? And which mother is your favorite evil mother? Okay. (laughs) Evilest, I'm going to give to Margaret. Because I feel like Tony wasn't evil, or like Annie wasn't evil. And I feel like Mama, though her bad CG will haunt me, <laughs> she <laughs> she was more stupid than vindictive. <laughs> yep. So Margaret, I think my favorite one is Tony Collette. You can't pick, you can't not pick Tony Collette. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that. I like that. I, I think Tony Collette might in my book be the evilest it's a question now (laughs) yeah this is a uh, i asked the question i have no answer prepared (laughs) um it's a tough answer i don't know who gets what what honor but sylvie gets one and tony gets the other one um i think when you were talking about uh when you were talking about Margaret and like the tragic backstory building her up to the mindset that she was in like it humanize her to me a little bit so i'm I'm willing to give her a pass on some stuff that i really wasn't before this episode (laughs) um and then 
it just mama the less we talk about mama the better yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> the um, worst crime mama has is existing <laughs> yeah it's the evil so I, I think i'm gonna give tony evilest mother and i'm gonna give sylvie favorite evil mother because at <laughs> least with sylvie in her mind her intentions are good they're just seriously misplaced yeah <laughs> tony Clegg, there are no good intentions she is just bad oh, yeah. um <laughs> through and through but i love her for it she's so great <laughs> absolute 10 <laughs> um but i i guess uh, very final thing. So if you would like to one more time, kind of pitch our listeners on uh, who you are, where can they connect with you on social medias and stuff like that? Do you have any future projects you want to kind of hint, hint and wink, wink at? Uh, the The floor is yours. How would you like to like to depart with our viewers I, listeners I, well a question for you is this airing tomorrow or after tomorrow no 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 as you're answering okay. let me let me pull up the schedule here because i I, ha I would love to hint at something but i know my publisher is gonna swoop in and, <laughs> and like scream at me so i just want to make sure it's not for like a little bit okay your episode is scheduled to come out on november 14th amazing okay okay so <laughs> For anyone looking to find me, <laughs> uh, I am on all social media uh, way too often. Um, my username is just Caitlin Marceau, pretty simple. Um, so yeah, uh, my website, CaitlinMarceau.ca, also has a list of my current publications and some of the forthcoming ones. Um, I never update it, so that's a gift, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start putting a blog. I swear I will one day. I just don't right now, I don't think. <laughs> Um, my most recent novella is This is where we talk things out. If you are a fan of mama trauma um, and, you know, wintry cabins and have already seen all the spoilers and know how it ends, but want to read a good book anyways, uh, might I recommend this one? Uh, and if you've already read it and you're like, wow, I need something new, then Laughlin Hills Community Magazine, which is a fun horror comedy. Um, and then after that, I'm allowed to, I guess, officially announce now um, that my debut novel will be coming out next year with Darklit Press. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Very called cool. It Wasn't Supposed to Go This Way. And it's about, um, yeah, or it wasn't supposed to go like this. I'm so bad at my own title. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't supposed to go like this. And it's about a really um, disenfranchised suburban mom. And that's okay. all I can say. <laughs> Well, if it is anything like this is where we talk things out, I'm I'm in. And even if it's nothing like this is where we talk like talk things out, I'm still in. Yay. Um, you have your hooks in me. Um, Caitlin, thank you so, so, so much for this interview. It has been a true honor getting to talk to you and oh, going through so all of our mama trauma together. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Thank you for letting me talk your ear off about everything. Yes. Right before we hit the record button, I went on Twitter and said something to the effect of, there is no way we're getting through this in an hour. And an hour, 42 minutes later, I was right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it is, it is an hour, 42 of actual content. We did. Yeah. There is, this is all killer, no filler. I wouldn't change a second of it. <laughs> um, and now this, I think this technically qualifies as a short film. So... <laughs> Yes, uh, I'll send it to Tribeca. 
There we go. <laughs> See what they've got for me. <laughs> a whole um, new world of grants just opened up for you in your podcast. <laughs> you monetize this podcast one way or another. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Uh, and to all of our listeners at home um, or, you know, wherever you are. Uh, please don't forget to like, subscribe, or go up to the creepy cabin with your mom uh, in the, uh, the the podcasting streaming service of your choice. That is all for this week. Uh, this has been Killer Mediums. Stay spooky. Intro or outro theme one more time. I don't know what we do here. Do we just like dance on the video for a second? Yeah, Might as well. Just jam it. <laughs> I can't dance. Just vote no. for it. So you gotta just like, see what we got. <laughs> just get up and start like twerking. <laughs> <laughs> Things that are not in my school set. <laughs> That's how you monetize it. You twerk for the camera. <laughs> Damn it. If I have to, I will. <laughs> so long, everybody. <laughs>